Alrighty, welcome back, listeners. Uh, this uh, intro, outro, right now, believe it or not, is coming to you live from Davao City in the Philippines. So I'm actually over here spending a week with uh, with my assistants, and uh, I'm not quite sure if you can ha- hear all these trucks and bikes and buses in the background, but it's typical mental Southeast Asian traffic uh, right beside me. But um, anyway, yeah. So this show, this show is a show with Rusty Young. So Rusty Young is um, the author of Marching Powder, one of the most um, epic books you'll ever read. And he's also owner of uh, the greatest adventure radio podcast ever produced. I think um, episode 36 was Rusty's first show and I routinely get asked which out of our first 120 shows is my favorite. And I'll always tell people that Rusty Young, episode number 36, is that in uh, is indeed that show. So we're sitting down a second time with Rusty. Um, had an epic chat. So Rusty's just uh, released his second book called Colombiano, um, following the, a story of a of a young boy uh, growing up in Colombia and getting really really good reviews, similar reviews to Marching Powder, right up there. Um, so we talk a lot about his new book. And we also talk about a documentary that he did um, in recent times as well. So, yeah, it's a real good chat and a real good catch-up with Rusty. Uh, So you guys are going to love it. So, this show, though, is brought to you by Audible, guys. So head to uh, audibletrial.com forward slash ADBF radio and you can check out what they do there. You'll get 30 free days and one free audiobook. Guys, if you're not listening to uh, audiobooks through Audible, you're really wasting... uh, Wasting a really good opportunity to be taking knowledge in there. I mean, knowledge is power. I don't want to sound like an idiot, but um, yeah, I mean, being able to, to learn, being able to take things in, upskill yourself while you're walking your dog, while you're cooking dinner, while you're um, shaving the hummus, it's, uh, it's just super important. So anyway, audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio. We're also brought to you by Quash Creative, guys. Head to quashcreative.com and quote the code radio. You'll get a free SEO report or report on your current or existing brand. Quash Creative is uh, Quash Creative is great friend of the show, Sean Marsh, and, uh, and his team down there. He's the guy that put together our intro jingle on our podcast. He's also great with uh, anything design-related, anything web-related. So head to quashcreative.com and use the code word radio. And we are also brought to you by Adventure Fit Travel, guys. Make sure you head to uh, www.adventurefittravel.com. Check out everything that we've got going on. At the moment, we have a few tickets left on our Iceland second Iceland trip in, uh, in December. We've also got Hawaii that we just released. We've got Kokoda Track, an Australia mini trip. New Zealand, we've got a bunch of stuff going on. So head to adventurefittravel.com if you want to... Um, if you want to do epic things with epic people in epic locations, then, uh, then yeah, check us out. Use the code word radio there for 10% off as well. Anyway, here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? Are we alone in the universe? What is the future of the human race? I'm with you if you want to live. 
He's a fuck. Mate, he's I did, at the end, I was like, mate, you got so much out of me. Yeah, that's like, good. Here with you guys is like hanging out with your mates. Yeah, and that's yeah. Right. That's, that's what you got to do. Yeah. With him, he's an older guy, very, very serious, very insightful, very mm. focused. So I'm not gonna, like you guys aren't going to go. So so rusty. Yeah. <laughs> We were in 1974. How was your childhood? I think he's. Are we on air? We're on air. Yeah. We're on air. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he's, not, he's, he's not giving us. Uh, not giving us a credit where due. I don't think he's on me. We have those questions in this, Rusty. We're well, professional. I, we're not old. We're not, but well, we are professional. It's funny you should say that, Russ. <laughs> I know I mean, how your childhood was. Are we on the record now? We're on the record. We're officially on the record. I mean, we tell dick jokes. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah, that's true. Now it's very politically correct. And we are sitting here with, with, with Rusty Young. Uh, Rusty, uh, how are you, my friend? I'm very, very well enjoying Melbourne, the chilly air of Melbourne, hanging yes. out with my mate, Bill and Tom. Mm. Melbourne's where the dust Mates, my stuff. friend. Mates. <laughs> Sorry, plural. Yeah, mates. Yeah. It's not a Sydney term, Bill. Um, so, Rusty, what are you doing? So you're doing your press tour for Colombiano, right? That's right. I'm at the, actually mm-hmm. at the back end of this long tour. It's been four weeks. I've travelled around the whole of Australia and the final event is probably the biggest one, which is the Melbourne Writers Festival mm. with the director of the festival, Lisa Dempster. Mm-hmm. I think my dad's cool. going to that, actually. Isn't that yeah. like a fuck ton of writers going to that? <laughs> <laughs> Just to be correct. Yeah, approximately fuck ton. <laughs> no, that's a massive event, though, isn't it? Yeah, look, I mean, any uh, any literary festival is always a big event, but Melbourne's pretty prestigious. Sydney has one as well. Lots of the states too. But yeah, really looking forward to it tomorrow. Mm, mm. So how's the uh, how's the book? How's the reception been? How's it all? Uh, how's it all shaping up so far? Look, the thing I'm most uh, the thing that's always worried me the most, or you know, the, the thing that's been my greatest concern has been like how Colombians going to react to it. And yeah. so far, the Colombian community in Australia and the few people overseas have read it. Have reacted really well. Um, getting some reader feedback. It's pretty slow because it's such a long book. This is mm. I, I'm calling it a multicolored brick. This have you, yeah. have you seen the book? It's mm. just like this. Huge. Yeah, you gave us a copy of it a yeah. year and a half ago. No, that was half the book. Yes, right. <laughs> it was just Columbus. Yeah, the first letter was good. Oh, I enjoyed it. I gave it a shot. Yeah, cool. So it's, but so, yeah, within the first week, uh, it hit uh, top ten bestsellers in Australia. So mm. it's you know sales are going well. That's not how I measure myself as no, a writer. It's sure. do people actually like it? Mm. Learn, get something from it. Learn something from it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, become inspired. And I think it, you know that takes a long time to actually work out what, how readers yeah. react because in the first month or two of the publicity campaign, it's all about driving sales and doing mm-hmm. publicity and being on TV and blah blah blah. And everyone goes, oh wow, you know. Yeah. Wow, you're famous. You're in the all the like this. It's in the airports. It's mm, in the mm. book of the month and all these places. But for me, it's like in the, the day, it's like when you read a book, it's you on your own, usually in bed, mm-hmm. and just you and the writer. Mm, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're hearing someone's voice, and you. That's when you make your decision. It doesn't matter about all the hype. Mm. Yeah. No, that's right. Um, so Colombiano. So. We talked about this uh, whenever it was, you know, eighteen months ago when we when we caught up. I think I think um, it was more like twelve months ago. Twelve months ago. Yeah, eighteen I months said, is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Well, whenever it was, it was uh, <laughs> not to get too technical. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever it was. Up, whenever we, when, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm going to leave. You guys can yeah. conduct we'll us chat. in. We'll have a few more beers. <laughs> um, but um, whenever we chatted, you were talking about uh, Colombiano and the plans and and the, the writing process being different and stuff. So um, 
obviously it's very different writing a, a story of um, like you and Thomas's basically life story for the period that you lived and, and, and telling Thomas's life story as well, a true story, yep. compared to um, what you've done with Colombiano, which is... So would you call it a fictional, loosely based on true events... Um, heard, fictional stories. I, heard, I like, heard the term recently. Faction, just like right. a, a blend of fact and fiction. That's mm. kind yeah. of like a bit of a, bit of a pretentious term. Yeah. Essentially, the way, factual. I, mm. the way I would describe it would be: it's a fictional storyline, it's a fictional story arc, mm-hmm. but set against a factual background. So the historical period that I was writing about is completely accurate. Um, the events that occurred within this book had all occurred; they just didn't all occur to one person. So I interviewed. Probably 40 or 50 child soldiers in Colombia mm-hmm. and then took the best or the most dramatic parts of each of those stories and made it as if it, all those things that had occurred to one person. So, you know, it's 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 a work of imagination. Mm-hmm. I also relied pretty heavily upon my story consultant, Simone Camilleri, who is uh, a dear friend of mine since university, and she was helping me kind of develop the female side of things as well. So my initial aim was to write about child soldiers and you know the horrors that they go through. Yep. Um, and most of the interview subjects were were boys, mm. and then Simone was like, "Well, what about the female perspective?" So I also interviewed uh, one third of child soldiers in Colombia were girls. Really? Yeah. Mm. And are they sold into? Um, this is a rough question right off the bat but they sold it like when you see a child soldier in the mind's eye you think of a child with a gun right mm, yeah. are they child like are they soldiers are they taken into the army as sex slaves or like how's no, the no not, not sex slaves so basically the diff when, when people think of child soldiers they usually think of Africa and Blood yeah. Diamond and, mm, and all right. the recent reports about the, the warlords in in Africa most of the child soldiers join up inverted commas voluntarily really yeah because they've you know, they've come from really impoverished rural backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, in many of the cases of the girls, they've either been physically or sexually abused. So they see men coming past with uniforms and say, we will not abuse you. Mm, yeah. You c- come and join our ranks. We'll give you three meals a day. They join up. And that it's true. They don't actually have to have sex with anyone. But at the same time, there's a certain power hierarchy because there's, all, like, let's say, one third, one third of girls. Um, that means there's a ratio of two to one men to women. They're living in the jungle. Mm. And so basically... Girl, busy, busy, busy girls. Yeah. It's no, the girls well, are the, well, the, gir- the, girls, the girls are in high demand and the prettiest girls are, go, go to the commanders sort yeah. of by, by default. And it's pretty, it's pretty horrific. And you see sort of 45, 50-year-old commanders <sighs> with girls who are 11 or 12 years Fuck. old. So it's fucked, by it? our moral standards, it's pretty horrific. And, but, it, but, but by their standards, in some ways, they're just surviving. But I guess even like, I mean, at that age, you just you don't know what's right and wrong. You don't know what's consensual, what's not. But from the sound of things, like having sex with some 40 or 50-year-old dude that provides them with, you know, good health, good food for, for, compared to what they know yep. is, a, is not a bad thing. You know? Yeah, well, in some ways, it's like that was the question I was asking. It's like, why would, why would kids who were, you know, most of them were twelve or thirteen years old when they joined up? Because basically, they grew up in a in a zone which is like a rural zone which is controlled by either the FARC or the paramilitaries, and there's the economy is pretty weak. There's high unemployment. The education rates are pretty low. So you're you're a kid. You've got you've got seven brothers, Catholic families, and along comes a, you know an armed militia and says, "Come and join up." Mm. And so, for them, if they're coming from these horrific backgrounds, like where they're being sexually abused by family by male family members, it's like 
you know, why do they join up? And it, it amazed me that, that for for these girls and boys, it was a step up in the world. Mm, wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so when you're talking about, um, because that's we brutal. always hear about the, I, I, well, I have heard about the fuck. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, is that a legitimate operation, or is that a, that's a guerrilla paramilitary, or, or how would you explain the fuck? Yeah, and, okay. and where do these guys fit into the? The child soldiers, who are they? Because you, you mentioned them as a separate entity. Yeah. Where, 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 where do they all link okay, up? Okay, so you, you probably go a step back to Colombia's history. So Colombia is an amazing country. It's up in the northwestern tip of South America, bordered by five other countries, Panama, Ecuador, Brazil, Venezuela, Peru, and... Bolivia. Bolivia. And it's, it's very wealthy in terms of natural resources. And at the same time, there's a complete maldistribution of wealth. Mm-hmm. So in the mid-1960s, uh, there was a campesino or a subsistence farmer uprising and they basically decided to install communism and try and overthrow the, what they perceived to be the corrupt central government. All right. So they started their war in the 1960s and then along came the paramilitaries, their, you know, their extreme right-wing opposition at about the mid-70s. It, both sides grew as a result of drug trafficking and kidnapping and extortion. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the FARC is, you know, that was the principal, um, the principal co- the terrorist organisation there. Right, and that's the, the right-wing terrorist organisation that was trying to overthrow the government. Is that FARC? No, sorry, FARC so started? the FARC was a left-wing communist gotcha. communist mm, organisation gotcha. trying to overthrow them. And actually this last year they signed the, cease, the ceasefire agreement with the government and... This year, only a few months ago, they finally surrendered and handed their weapons in. Right. And they're now going for Congress. And this is a hugely controversial Shit. issue for most Colombians. Mm. Right. So that was a 30-year... 53. 53-year f- war from fuck the paramilitary. That's insane. Yeah. So so, so these... Uh, so so to get back to the, the children that are, you know, obviously in Colombia, I know about. So when they're child soldiers, who are they getting recruited by? Okay, so... The argument, and it's a sort of facetious argument to my mind, the argument by both these big groups, and there's, there's, there, are, there are a number of terrorist organisations there, but the two main ones are the FARC, guerrilla, the communists, mm-hmm. and the right-wing death squads, the paramilitaries. And their argument is, guess what? Injustice, social poverty, and the war, and the civil war affects everyone equally. It doesn't matter whether you're a male or a male or female, whether you're an adult or a child. Yeah. And therefore, it's your social obligation to take us hard. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's their that's their argument for recruiting child soldiers. Really, pretty weak one. <sighs> Guess what? Kids are affected by social injustice. Therefore, kids should have to actually fight in a war. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's what's more just. That's what I yeah. do. <laughs> um, yeah. So they're getting recruited to both sides at this point, basically mm-hmm. for whatever, whoever they choose to be. Yeah, the, the most. It's usually, it's usually depend upon which side dominates the 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 region in which they live. So, and the, and the worst situation for these kids is. If they live in a grey zone, like an area which has previously been controlled by one side but now been taken over by the next. Mm -hmm. So that's when they come in and they go, all right, who was collaborating with the enemy previously? Mm. If you don't join us, then we believe that you are sympathising with them and we'll kill you and your family. So so horrific, horrific uh, human rights abuses, torture, murder, eh, just... Horrific things all, all these kids the, go through. And how like, prominent stuff. is this sort of stuff when you go to these places? Like, is it pretty much in your face, or is it like no. behind closed doors? And no, you it's, it, you would almost never witnessed it. Yeah, particularly as a, as a Westerner. Mm. But it's going on all the time. I mean, let, let me give you an example. Colombia, 
at, at, at as of today's date, has officially 6.9 million internally displaced people. That's in, from a population base of around 44, 45 million Colombians. Mm, right. So in other words, more than one in 10 Colombian citizens is internally displaced, has been pushed away from their home. Mm. Is it in your face? Do you, what, do you see them being held at gunpoint? No. But you see them in the slums, you see them just mm. in the streets going, what, what are you doing here? Yeah, mm. yeah. And it's all based on that. Fucking hell. So what are some of the um, what are some of the things like when you were writing the book and you were sitting down with these children, like how did their day-to-day life go? Were these child soldiers out in like military groups shooting and killing people or were they were they brought in to do little menial tasks to you know to 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 lend a hand or was it pretty horrific the stuff that they were going through because i haven't read i haven't read the book i haven't read the book we're going to try and do that. i think we should cut the podcast right here yeah it's done now (laughs) yeah you were supposed to send me it last week (laughs) show some respect (laughs) (laughs) Um, so so but these these kids like show um, some respect these (laughs) dogs These kids, uh, like, what are they actually going through day to day? What are some of the stories that you heard? Well, I mean, they're recruited for a range of reasons. So typically once they're old enough to to fire an AK-47 or a Galil, age of 13, 14, let's say, and also carry a 40-pound, 18-kilogram backpack, that's when they they potentially could become frontline soldiers. Mm. They're in. Sometime, that, that's the age when they, they're, they're primed for being recruited. Yep. Prior to that, they will accept children as spies or as messengers, and they'll go. They'll use them in towns to sit on street corners and, yeah. and to report back via mm. radio and who's mm. going past what point. So, I mean, basically, these kids, because they're kind of more innocent looking, they'll be able to get through military checkpoints, police checkpoints, yeah. and they'll be able to carry messages. They're very much an asset. And if they're just sitting on a street corner, who's going to blame a kid? But yeah. then, in the, the day, everyone knows. Why isn't that kid at school? Why mm, is that kid yeah. holding a radio? Now, just the fact of holding a radio doesn't mean that you're you're an armed combatant. Mm, but yeah. that actually, but the, because the the fact of them helping an armed group means that they're an enemy of the other, and they could easily be killed in their family. Oh, it's crazy! Totally, it's like yeah. when um, I've not uh, I went through the favelas in um, Rio, and there's see the same thing. Just kids on street yeah, corners. All, and, all the kids on the street corners have yeah. got walkie-talkies, and they're mm. all um, they're all working for. And they, it's the same thing for them. They work for the drug um, drug barons of the favelas and the slums yeah. because they provide the accommodation. They yeah, provide exactly, the hospitals. Yeah. They provide the schooling. They provide everything for the favela. Yeah. And so it's for, like Rusty was saying. It's like a it's like a yeah. cool a, job gives them a place a, in society. Yeah. A, but well, they run their community. You know, but, and, would, if you, and, if, would, and if you want to see a movie which demonstrates that really well, there's a, a really good director called Jose Padilla. In fact, who is the EP of Narcos? Oh yeah, everyone oh, loves Narcos. Yeah, really. But if you want to see his earlier work. There's a movie called Elite Squad, right. which was uh, and okay. Elite, Elite Squad Two. Uh-huh. First one's better, but Elite Squad shows the you know, the role of kids in mm. all these favelas. And there's a really good song called Rapa de Armas, which is obviously meaning Bill, because Bill speaks Spanish, so obviously. Yeah, Rapa de uh, Arapas. Uh, yeah. No, I have no idea what that means. Well, it's kitchen sink renovation. Hey, with the um, child soldiers, um, Russ, is that like, so they're initially brought in, well, they're recruited initially because it's, you know, there's obviously a lot of benefits as opposed to being homeless and on the street and, and in, in, in poverty. And then are they brought up under these sort of communities, I guess, 
like with with a sense of like ideology brainwashing and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, like they ab- start to really believe what they're what they're being Absolutely, told. Absolutely, because and- I mean, like you, know, you think about when you think about when you're twelve, right? Think about when you're twelve, you're mm. thirteen, and you've got let's say you were taken away from your your moral guardians mm. being your parents. Mm. So your parents are the ones going, this is wrong. Look left and right when you cross the road. Totally. But don't always say please. Always say hello to a stranger. Like all those little values that, yep. that make you who you are today um, that are highly influential on who you are as a person. Mm. Take your parents out of that system and then put another adult with a gun in that mm. position. Yeah. Mm. And then that, that person's going, you are fighting for social justice. Mm. This is what you're doing. Society's unjust. And they start to brainwash them and go, and, and of course, these kids, if you've got no other information mm. coming in and no, and you're not allowed to object to the information that you're given, then you start to take it on wholesale. In fact, there are big rewards for for getting it, for repeating mm. that mantra. So, oh, who who remembers yesterday's lesson about yeah. social injustice? Yes, there's an oligarchy that's oppressing us and we need to kidnap them. Anyone disagree? Yeah. No. And then... <laughs> And then, yes, well done. Yeah. Well done, Bill and Tom. Mm. Isn't that scary, though? Like, the if you're given something... So, I mean, basically what you've just described is literally just religious fundamentalism. Right. And the, the, this is not religious. So, the communist guerrilla, at least, a communism actually is a doctrine which doesn't... Uh, which rejects any kind of mm-hmm. religious um, indoctrination, right? So, it's basically... It's a, it's a rationalist thought based on Karl Marx and, and Leninism. Mm. And so they, they don't believe in God. Mm. So mm. they reject God. That, that's one of the first things they have to reject because Colombian society uh, is fundamentally Catholic. Mm-hmm. So forget the fact that you brought up believing in God. You're now a believer of communism and social justice. Really? Yep, absolutely. Okay. So do they practice any form of spirituality? None. Really? None whatsoever. So they're, they're atheists? Complete atheists. Wow. Communism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah. shit. That's really strange that's for a Latin American culture too, really, isn't well, it? Well, they to have be, to, to really sort of work, work to reverse their sort of their yep. form of thought. Yep. But at the same time, they kind of, like, it's the same as Cuba, for example. Mm. Cuba is also actually, you know, a communist or socialist country. Mm. And yet they have to sort of allow for, um, <laughs> they had like a little bit of Catholicism there. There's a little bit of, um, like, like the Santeria. Just kind of like uh, devil worship, mm. and they allow that. Devil period. worship, yeah. There's a little bit of like, um, <laughs> yeah. little, it's good shit, mate. It's good a, shit. There's yeah. a little bit of white magic going on there. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Cuba and some devil of those countries. Yeah, it's just like they have to. The, 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 the dominant regime has to go. Right, we want to recruit people from all these different ideologies, so we're going to have to leave them with something. You yeah. can't just let's get the badasses with the devil. Totally. We'll get yeah. them with the devil hook. Yeah, totally. So you get, yeah. You get this really crazy mixes of values. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that's really interesting. So, like, because, I mean, religious fundamentalism, like evangelicals and stuff, that stuff really fascinates me because it's like, I mean, if you're brought up with something like under that that amount of credence, like if I'm brought up with, I mean, Ricky Gervais talks about this sort of stuff and he says, you know, like you're brought up with don't touch the fire, you know, shake hands with someone to be polite, there is a God. You, if that's all brought into the same level of credence, you, you're never going to deny, deny any yeah. of that shit. It's just always like, yeah, there's a God. What do you mean there's not a God? Yeah. So, like... I was watching this documentary um, about ISIS, yeah, and they were showing all the the brainwashing of the children. All yeah, this sort so they, of stuff, they, those you know? they, those little schools are called madras, mm. and basically they they're basically saying if you can get someone young enough, 
you know, you can tr- completely control Absolutely. their mind. Absolutely. And, and, th- and that, that was an indication. And in, in, it's not just ISIS. This is centuries ago, mm. Christianity was doing oh, the same yeah. thing, yeah. just taking people at a young age and indoctrinating them in a certain school of thought. Totally. Luckily, we now live under like a pluralist, liberal society, which mm. allows a multiplicity of thought. Pluralism mm. essentially is allowing simultaneous, diverse and... Um, discrepant forms of thought mm, yeah. mm. at the same time. And at the same time, what we're seeing now is like a kind of fracturing where the extremes of all those different pluralistic thoughts mm. are saying, right, let's actually, let's let's go toe-to-toe. Mm. So to my mind, what I think ISIS is trying to do is going, right, let's just force people to choose a side, which is, yeah. which is, yeah. which is I guess, the, the, same. the same as what's happening, what I, what I was arguing was happening in Colombia. Totally. When you get forced to pick a chi- choose a side, that that side does not necessarily represent your personal views, mm. but you actually have to go one or the other. It's the lesser of two evils. Lesser of two yeah, evils, basically. Exactly right. that, yeah. True dilemma. Yeah, that's, I suppose that's Tough what's one. going on in Europe right now, especially mm. like with um, everything that's been going on in France and Paris and, yeah. and obviously- France in, and Paris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very much so, yeah. <laughs> I own a travel company, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really good at my geography. Adventure Pit, France. Where are you going, Rusty, by the way? I'm going to have beer. You can take your headphones off, mate. Feel the chat for a second. Sorry, guys, Rusty was just creeping past me in time with a weird look in his face. Oh, and we'll give you a live update. Uh, Rusty currently has his pants off and is uh, reaching for a beer. Um, <laughs> That's gold. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm all right, right, mate. I'll go again. Um, I'll be over the limit. That's all right. This is off the record. Um, <laughs> you guys going to edit this down? Nah, we'll keep it in. <laughs> We're definitely keeping this shit in. Um, yeah, so, so- Bill- are you, uh, how old are you, mate? <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so, Rusty, when you were doing the, um, I'll get your headphones back over there for you, mate. When you were doing the, um, when you were doing all this, uh, all this research over there. <laughs> That's awesome. For, for however many. How, how many you, pricks, I'll just walk off. How many years were you, um, how many years were you in Colombia doing this research? Seven, six, seven years. So I lived in Colombia for seven years straight. <laughs> yep. And I was working for the US government for four years. Right, and what were you Thanks, doing? Mate. What were you doing, working for the U.S. government? Um, I was a program manager. I was a subcontractor for, to uh, a, a, a contracting company that had a, a contract with the U.S. Department of State or the State Department, and right. there it was basically part of the state counterterrorism um, umbrella. And the aim was to reduce kidnapping in Colombia. At the time, Colombia had the highest rate of kidnapping in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, between three and four thousand people per year, or in other words, between uh, on average nine, ten people per day. So, did you get that job to help with this research, or did that he just come heavy. about? He was the heavy. You were the he heavy man. He was, he was well, going was. there. He was going there to just to ruffle some feathers was. with it with yeah. the kidnappers, obviously. Yeah, I'm Rusty Young. <laughs> you can call me Master. <laughs> oh, I've got a funny story. <laughs> yeah, all right. So my so everyone calls me Rusty, but that's the name of my passport and my name of my. Driver's license. I was actually born Russell. Russell, yeah. But I didn't. Yeah, I didn't like Russell. Yeah, no one likes him, mate. <laughs> no one likes name Russell. <laughs> and um, so when I was like five or six years old at school, I, I had this cat, and I loved this cat. It was a cat was called Pussy. Crack cat. Oh, sorry. Pussy. Called, no, right. The cat was just called Pussy. <laughs> yeah. And so. I that makes sense. I, I didn't want to be called Russell Pussy. Young. I wanted to be called Pussy Young. So I started signing my name Pussy Young. Oh. And, my, and the teacher actually called, called, called my parents in to the school and said, your son is refusing yeah. to answer to, Rus- to Russell. He's calling himself Pussy. And, he's yeah. like, and, and, and I just think that would be a really cool name. Hi there. Pussy Young. Hi there. I work for the US government in, in counterterrorism. I'm young. 
pussy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is your what is your porn name? Uh, Do you have well, a porn name? This is the porn name where you have yes. to combine your first straight yeah, mine's name. Mine's Nugget Spray. Yeah, that's sick. <laughs> nugget Spray is hectic. So how do you again? So first, a, it's a straight, first straight name. First name. First dog. No, no, no. Sorry, first animal. First, first animal. Some people don't have dogs. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh-huh. you know this is where we're a very liberal society. <laughs> so so uh, first animal name and then first straight name. Yes. Um, Radan Blinky. Oh, that's hectic. That's yeah. not bad. Do you know what? Now, I, I'm not sure if people that know this man will be listening to the show, but I do know of someone who may not, or may may or may not be in the fitness industry, and he did become a porn star, and his name is Liam Hemsworth. How good is that? Mm, if, that's pretty good. Do you know Liam Hemsworth? Mm. Yeah, he's he's called his name Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> How good is it? You'd want to. You'd want to have the goods to back that. You'd up. You'd want to make sure. You'd yeah. want to make sure you could back that. Oh, Liam Hemsworth. Yeah. Oh shit. For, for boom. It sucks. So yeah. how did you get Rusty on your passport then? Um, yeah, that was just became my name. <laughs> Rusty <laughs> That's Young. Classic. That's sick. I'm gonna. I want to. I want to name. Are now. you Rusty by default then? Did you change it? Change it? Or did the government just go? Yeah, chuck it on there. Yeah. We'll call you Rusty. If you I want. give a fuck, mate. <laughs> I am not at liberty to answer that question. <laughs> right. We'll get it out of him. Okay. Have another beer, mate. Let's <laughs> go. Um. Yeah, right. So, what were you doing? Like, what was your day to day when you were working? So, at this time, are you doing the research for Colombiano or are you just so working start, for the government was, at this point? No, I started off in Colombia. Firstly, I arrived there in January 2001 with Thomas McFadden. Mm, and we spent about a year there together, legend. writing uh, together, be, writing yeah. the book Marching Powder. Yeah. We spent four months in prison. I, I was there voluntarily. Um, wrote the book, published it. Thomas went back to the UK. He said that there were more drugs in London than there were in Colombia. And then he State moved, of the world. Then he moved back to Tanzania and he named his first son Rusty. That's so, hectic. That's yeah. how good's that? I hope you guys get Obviously to Obviously after uh, yourself. <laughs> the other famous Rusty. <laughs> so yeah, I hope you guys get to interview Thomas one day. Yeah, 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 love yeah definitely, definitely. 100%. Does he come uh, to Australia? Uh, I, I, no, he's never been to Australia. Mm, we'll I, get him I, over. I've been, to see, I've been to see him in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just decided I've, my next book was going to be about about Colombia. I didn't know exactly what I was going to write about, but I just mm-hmm. knew there were so many stories there. It's just an yeah. amazing country, amazing country. Mm. Obviously, it's got a Colombia has a reputation for drug trafficking, kidnapping, and pretty women, beautiful women. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, so. As I was travelling through an airport, I met, a, I met a guy on a plane and he ended up offering me a job as government. And so that kind of put my book writing plans on hold mm. for a little bit. But at the same time, the stories I was getting from living this life of, mm. you know, working in counterterrorism, meeting real live people who were actually in the front line of this war, just going against terrorists, like rescuing child soldiers, mm. rescuing hostages – the stories and the things yeah. that I was living through was just like I was like, wow, this is better than a book. Yeah, yeah. Why would I spend eight hours a day writing a, mm. you know? Yeah, you can figure that that part out later. Figure, figure, Get the experiences, yeah, exactly. figure the, figure so the book I had out the experiences later. Experiences first, and then I ended up stopping the job and then just going full time on the book. Took- so you literally got the job from sitting on a plane next to a dude who worked <laughs> yeah, for the US government. That's hectic. It's fucking pretty random. Yes. Yeah, working so for counter. Hey mate, you uh, what are you doing Wednesday? We got some, counter- yeah. got some counter-terrorism exactly, work. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Are you in that area? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, good yeah, enough. Come, yeah, come yeah. Here. Just, just, just going to be in Columbia. We're just dealing with the park and uh, yeah. the paramilitary. Is that cool with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be here. I've just come out of a Bolivian jail for four months and I'm ready to go. Here's my CV. I actually had to invent a CV and had to try to think, how do I... Reference Thomas McFadden. 
about how to explain <laughs> how to explain the four months where I lived in a prison. Yeah, no I, shit. I, yeah. Did, like, I don't like to lie, but you know, if you're doing your CV, you learn a lot of people dodge it up and go, oh, yeah. you know, July 2012 to 2015. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to lie, like, but there was a four month period there. Where, yeah, where I was. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and four month period unknown. Yeah, <laughs> we, so there's a, what is this, mate? mate? <laughs> There's a guy called the RSO, the regional security officer for every US embassy. And before you can work for the US government, and, and as an Australian, you can't work directly as a US um, government employee. You have, to, you have to be a contractor, right? Yes. Uh, if you're not a US citizen. Yep. And one of the questions they asked on the application form, they'd already get sort of offered me the job, but you still have to fill out the application form. Mm. And they, one of the questions was like, have you ever been to prison <laughs> you mean depends how you mean, yeah. I, was like, I was like yes but I'm innocent yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's what they all say Matt no no I really was genuine, genuine. Yeah, I just walked in there no. <laughs> genuine yeah. oh that's um, gold so, so can you tell us about any like well I'm not sure at how much sort of liberty you're able to talk about your time with the US government like did you have some really sort of hectic moments or like what was a, a, a an experience that sort of sticks out look not really I mean like I, I can I can talk in general about it um, make stuff up if you like yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> just, this is a, this book is fiction yeah this, this podcast is fictional yeah it's fashion mate it's fashion yeah. <laughs> non fashion yeah you just you know. neither none of us exist yeah exactly <laughs> we're all a figment of our own imaginations um so in terms of hectic moments, um, look, I, they, I, basically from the very beginning, it's all about security protocol. So even though Bogota was a relatively safe place, they really don't want people to be to get into situations where, which are compromising for the US government. Uh, there were three guys who who were down there when I was there who actually their plane got shot down or came down through mechanical failure, depending on which version you believe. Mm. And they were taken by the by the communist guerrilla and they were held for seven and a half years in the jungle. What? And the operation Jesus. to rescue them cost, you know, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars and what? just hundreds of personnel hours down there in, in Colombia. Mm. So you do not want to be captured <laughs> by... When you're working for the US government, you do not want to become captured by a communist organisation no. that's a, that, 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 who oh, are masters in kidnapping. Um, that is insane. So, from the outset, basically, my life was just about security protocol, mm. moving house a little bit. Um, tried had like a, a level three armored vehicle, so basically, it's not bulletproof. Uh, it, it, like nine millimeter rounds will bounce off a, of a lightly armored yeah. vehicle. Five, five, six rounds will will fracture the the, the windscreen, but not penetrate. Seven, six twos will probably go through. Blast proof from underneath. It had like a, it had like <laughs> grenade proof doors. So you were, you were, you were, you were driving a tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Actually, actually, the vehicles were were, were considered to be war material. Really? So it was actually considered oh, no. to be a tank. So you had like an extra liability, <laughs> an extra so responsibility. Where you, if you hit a pedestrian, you're just like hitting a pedestrian with a tank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the yeah. bond on that? <laughs> Jesus. Um. Yeah. So, was that like um. When you were doing that, was that like day to day just the most riveting, like kind of job to be in? We yeah, always kind of living like you're on be, edge. The, the best job I've ever had in my life. Mm, Not yeah. just in terms of being on edge. Like obviously, I, I like a little bit of risk and danger. Yeah. Uh, the guy that you know I met on the plane became a mentor to me, and he also sort of flipped my perspective on on life. Because you know, I always thought of the U.S. government and being a sort of liberal Australian, I was like, 
you know what, the US government's out there just ruling the world and mm. just taking over the oil fields and they're, they're, yeah. they're not really trying to free people. Mm-hmm. They are there to make money out of all these countries. Mm. And in this case, they weren't. Like, they, they were pumping money into a country to save, to rescue hostages. Mm. Like, there's no justification whatsoever for taking someone and holding a gun to their head and going, how much are you going to pay mum and dad for your son back? Mm. That's it. Like, who cares whether you're left-wing communist or yeah. right-wing fascist mm. doesn't matter mm. if how, like how much are you guys worth to your parents mm. how much Definitely. how much would you pay of your wealth if your parents or your best friend oh, what, if, right. what if one of you guys got kidnapped how much did, how much would the other one pay fucking everything oh, absolutely everything I'd throw in at least half a lazy yeah. hour <laughs> lazy I'm worth yeah. Least, yeah I'm worth 10 bucks <laughs> I'll let the kid you know finish me be fuck you no it's a it's a no it's a Valid it's invalid. It's invalid. It's priceless. It's totally there's, there's priceless. No, there's, no, there's no unconditional love. There's like, no value on human life. And no. so, what what this program was doing was going out and just trying to rescue all these people in the in the in the jungles who were being held hostage, and they've been held hostage for seven, five, seven, ten, mm. up to twelve years. I think the longest person, the longest uh, record kidnapping was. Twelve years. Imagine being told, held for twelve years. Like just think yeah, of it, like think of the last like twelve years of your life. Seventh of your life. Take them yeah. away. Totally, <laughs> and you've been spent. You spent that time in the jungle, not knowing whether you're going to live or die, mm. and suffering every day. From every day, eating really bad food, but also it's, it's worse than prison. Prison, prison. At least you know Good when you're going to get out. There's a certain not not any certain security, a certain mm. routine there. But you might get killed in the crossfire. You might get executed if the government comes to rec- come to rec- to totally. rescue. Is it? Um, have you seen um, Game of Thrones? Yeah, a few times. We're up to seven. Yeah, se- seven yeah, yeah. so you know, you know. Um, you know Theon, how he how he's originally exactly. living with the Starks as a as a ward. Is it a ward or is it he's Wait, held? Gra- he's held gradually. Gradually, yeah. He's yeah, held yeah. by the Starks as a hostage. Yeah. yeah. But he lives as part of the family. Like, are these people surely after like twelve years, five, five, seven, twelve years, they'd be kind of getting looked after pretty well? Or are, they, are, they, are these hostages in the yeah, jungle? So they're, they're in horrible some, conditions the whole, horrible the whole time. Horrible conditions. I mean, there is something which uh, like I recognised um, hostage syndrome called the Stockholm syndrome, where yeah, people who are the hostage victims start to relate and even fall in love with their captors yeah. as a means of survival. It's pretty mm. horrific. And uh, I can't believe that you tried to relate my book to Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. But you just Mate, become I relate a, everything to Game of yeah. Thrones. <laughs> but you just become a complete and utter nihilist. You'd be like, all right, <laughs> For fuck anyone this. listening to that, uh, that sound, that's Rusty vaping. Yeah. I can hear Rusty vaping. Like hectic, my, hardcore through my, motherfucker. Through my, um, just vaping the fuck unless out Unless you're of- my medical insurer, in which case, he's lying. <laughs> True that. <laughs> yeah. oh, um, so good. Sorry, Tom, I cut off your question there, but... No, no, I was just saying, like, you just become a complete and utter nihilist, like, every day to be like, fuck it. Like, I just think of um, someone, like, in a war-torn country, or just like a soldier, you know, every day you're fighting, gunshot at you every time. You're like... Fuck, I get like 24 hours. Put it this way. It's, it's, I can see how justified it is for soldiers to just be doing heroin and going to like brothels every day because it's just like, fuck, I reckon I'm going to die every day. Like, what am I going to do? You know? Yeah, so that, I mean, these guys didn't have even have that option of mm. doing drugs or going to turn to brothels. Not, not saying that's what, what soldiers should do either. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I think what you're referring to is like particularly the, the Vietnam War yes. where, where people would go out and tour. For a few weeks at a yes. time, exposed to extreme danger, think they're going to die any moment. Mm. Come back and go. Well, next time I next time I go out there, 
I might, in yeah. fact, I probably will likely be killed. Absolutely. And therefore, what do I care about human values? I should just kill someone. I should just have sex with hookers. Get as much pleasure in before I can die. Totally. And um, these guys never had the option of, a, of, a, of time off, so it was just a constant, constant stress on mm. their on their psyche. Yeah, hey Russ, I wanted crazy. to ask something. Hey, which dude. <laughs> I wanted to ask something like a bit of a tangent, but um, I just read a book, Ten um, Percent Happier by Dan Harris, right. and it just talks about like mindfulness meditation and all this sort of thing. But he was a he was a foreign correspondent for um, for uh, he was a news reporter, and uh, he was in a war torn country. He went yeah. to Afghanistan and all this sort of stuff, and he uh, he sort of went through um, anxiety and panic attacks and depression when he came back because um, I believe to some degree he suffered from PTSD, or yeah. he was referring to that after coming out from a place like that. What's your experience in, in coming back to such a privileged society like Melbourne after being in a place like that? Yeah, good question. I mean, look, I've, I've been asked this by a lot of audience members during the talks and it's like, you know, do you think do you suffer from PTSD? Mm. Not at all. Like, mm. fuck. Mate, people are on the front line of battle and I've never been the front line of battle. I'm, ne- I'm not claiming in any way to be a hero. Mm. People who do that, just, you know, it's just... Of course, they, they like they witness people's body parts being mm. blown off. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are hit by landmines. I've never been in the front line of battle. You know, I've I've been around people who have. So I, my aim as a writer was to get as close as possible to the war mm. without actually being getting you know, shot get, at. Getting shot at. Potentially, I was at risk. Yes, but um, I don't have PTSD. Mm. But. In answer to your question, coming back from that extreme experience where there, I guess there was a level, a high level of risk and being around and listening to these stories of mm. people who actually definitely went through the mm. most horrific things you could suffer as a human being. Um, you know, there's a, there's a sense of hollowness, a sense of boredom and a sense of like... Yeah, that's right. That's and, right. Like, and, and like how do, how do people go out on a Friday or a Saturday night and go, yeah. oh, look at me, I've got my clothes on and I've got my I'm in this cafe Fucking or I'm in close, this man. I'm in this oh, bar I'm, I'm in so this glad restaurant. We're naked right now. Look at me. We're not naked. For the record. For the record. There was, oh, the, was dead pause there. Russell right in my eyes was like who's got the cock yet? There's some weird stuff um, going on here but, but that's the that's the that's the point I reckon Dan Harris makes as well is like PTSD it was for what the he saw. Thing. It but was it's the but, but the but he came home and started um, a really bad coke habit or whatever because he needed that endorphin he rush that he yeah. wasn't getting from being in the in 100%. the in a, in the war zone, you know. Yeah. And but you've I, probably had. I mean, I'm not saying you've got a fucking drug habit. Um, you got. I've got a vaping habit right yeah, now. Yeah, you got a vaping 24 habit. Twenty four beers in. But I mean, um, <laughs> but you've gone through like living in a Colombian fucking prison this for, for six to. months, yeah. six uh, seven years living in Colombia, writing this book, working with yeah. you know. The, so like, how does it? How does coming out of these? You know, to 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 build on Tommy's question, mm. how does it? Yeah, how's it for you coming back into reality? Yeah, I mean, what's reality, firstly? As in, is, well, Melbourne is, is, reality is like, Australia you know? or is Melbourne or is Sydney? Is that yeah. reality or is Columbia reality or no, is Africa right. reality? But right, like, so that's the first thing. Yes, yeah, so so, Melbourne is definitely so not I reality. I do not have PTSD. Um, yeah, I guess when I was in living in a prison and then working for the US government and kind of constantly living under a certain level of anxiety and stress, your adrenaline's going constantly. Totally. And that becomes a kind of, it could become a form of addiction, Mm. right? So then when you come back to normal life, inverted commas, for Australians, it can be, first it's a little bit boring and then you Mm. go, but then there's, there's, then there's a richness and that is just hanging out with new people. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, you guys are getting naked here in my, in my <laughs> hotel room. Off the record, off the record. In my hotel room. <laughs> showing up, showing up your tattoos. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's getting next level. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's, um, it's really interesting. And um, 
Because I went through a book just recently called um, Try by Sebastian Junga, who was a war correspondent as well. One of the best books ever. And it talks about the stuff um, that, you know how um, you're talking about the, the times where you're, you're in danger and you're under the pump and you're working together for a common cause. The times that um, people in war times, in like World Wars, um, Vietnam Wars, any time that people were under the pump, as a society, they are the times, like after 9-11, yeah. they're the yeah. times that people report the biggest, uh, greatest level greatest of happiness. Greatest stories, yeah. Greatest level of happiness right. because, okay, because so of the, the community of that, Apropos of that, figure this. One of the things that I, I loved about Colombia is the people. That, that's a, that, that was the thing I loved the most. Colombia consistently, and, and again, these, are, these reports are subjective. Who knows how they ask the questions? But in World Happiness Surveys, Colombians rate consistently number one or number two as the happiest people in the world. No shit. Really? And yet, it has, Colombia was described by the UN as a human rights disaster. Mm. Yep. They had the highest murder rate in the world, the highest kidnap rate <laughs> in the world, the highest, uh, not, they now have the highest number of internally displaced people in the world, the highest murder rate of journalists, the highest murder rate of, of union leaders. This is... The, the the tortures are horrific. Mm. So, how is it? That in, in a, how is it in a country with this absolutely violent and and tragic and horrific history? Mm. How is it that they are such happy people? And it's not just filling out a survey. Go there, or just meet a Colombian in Australia. Yeah. They are really cool people. Mm. Colombians are just optimistic, happy people. Mm. And so how do you reconcile with the fact that you know, in their country they've got so much suffering and yet they're happy people? And well, maybe, that's all and, they know. And maybe on the flip side, Australia, which has one of the highest suicide rates in the world, and yet we're so privileged, are we just inventing all these problems for ourselves? Oh, my God, mm. my boyfriend dropped me. Oh, my God, mm. my selfie looked really bad. Oh, my God. Pri- privilege is oh. the worst thing that, that we can have. Maybe, maybe, maybe humans are designed to to deal with conflict, to deal with pressure. And if you don't have enough of that, you invent it for yourself. Oh, for sure. It's for like, sure. That is D- just a fact. But like, humans are made to survive. We've evolved to survive. 100%. Totally. But, I, but I think the big thing with the war thing in particular is like, is the community. Because if you're under the pump in Colombia, people mm. are getting, you're getting paramilitaries and, and FARC and people are getting kidnapped. You're always valuing your time around your loved ones. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, always yeah. valuing your time around yeah. the community. And say it's like, you know, when Pablo Escobar was going through um, Wrecking House in the 80s and, and early 90s and so forth, you know, people that, are get, that get displaced, then you have to use your community. You have to bond together. You yeah. have to share things. And that's how we are. That's how we evolved. And you know, what, happened, you know what happens as well? So when you're really things. concentrating on, on the basic facts of fundamental survival, like as in, what am I going to eat next? And, yeah. and who can I really trust? Because yeah. guess what? I guess what? I've got 20 fucking thousand friends on Facebook. Or mm, yeah. I've got 13 million likes on, on Instagram. Yeah. Who cares? Are, are any of those people actually connected to you? Yeah, that's right. The people who you actually can depend on. Yeah, you can right. count on one hand. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and when you're in a, a war situation or in a, in a country which is war-torn, you really get to the, 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 the nub of humanity. And that's, that's what I loved. It was like... This was reality for me. And mm, your question was, yeah. how do I how do I deal with the reality of Australia? Yeah. For me, Colombia was far more reality than yep. than Sydney or Melbourne. I love being back here. I love hanging out with you guys. We're in a privileged position. We're sitting in a hotel room, drinking some beers, mm-hmm. talking in a podcast. But mm. there are people on the other side of the world who are starving from hunger, who are internally displaced, mm. who have been kidnapped, and that goes on around us. And you know, it's not good enough to just go. Oh, Instagram post or Facebook post. Facebook post. Uh, here's a social issue. 
I'm behind this. Yeah. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah. That is not good enough. Yeah, for me. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, do you do you miss it? Are you going to go? Do you have any plans to go back? Or no? I mean, I I, I think I think the reaction could be. I don't know the Colombian government's reaction or the FARC's reaction or the paramilitary's reaction to this book. Mm. Um, you know, I, I lied to a lot of people. What do you mean? Well, when I was working for the US government, I didn't tell anyone that that's what oh, I was yes. doing. I, yes, I, yes. I was just living with, a, living with a girl for three and a half years. Mm. I didn't tell her what I was doing. So you couldn't – is that because you just weren't at liberty to I talk about no, it? Or? No, it wasn't part of the, the contractual conditions. It was yep. just more about – if 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 you tell someone something which is like a kind of big piece of potential news, people are natural gossipers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Imagine if it got out in a country with the biggest rate of highest rate of kidnapping mm. in the world. US government. That you're working in anti kidnapping. Yeah. That's you'd true. be potentially a target, right? Yes. Yes. And even your girlfriend, like you tell your best friend, your girlfriend and your mother mm. and then eventually it gets out. Mm. Who told? Yeah, exactly. So just Who tell no trust? one. Yeah. I, I, I yep. trusted everyone, but it just just made sense not to tell. And so were most people within the people you were working with, were they doing the yeah. same thing? Like, was it just... Oh, so I just feel like there'd be a level of protection with that sort of stuff. Even though it's not in the contractual agreement, yeah. you'd just be like, people would just start asking questions. Most, you know? of, most of them were just really, really discreet people and they had very insular lives. You know, they lived in... They would have uh, either a shuttle, a bulletproof shuttle bus picking them up or they'd drive their bulletproof car or they had a chauffeur... And they just didn't have – they had minimal contact with other people. So you kind of like – you knew there was someone from the US Embassy working there, but you didn't know what they were doing. Mm. I'm really social. So I was still going out to bars and yeah, hanging yeah. out with my friends. Yeah, but I doing just got, podcast. Yeah, doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I just didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my ex-girlfriend. When I finally told her, when she finally found out, she was like – she felt like majorly betrayed. Really? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It was like basically I was coming home saying – I was working in construction. <laughs> yeah. You're, 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 you're lying. You're lying. Kill dudes. Yeah. Lies will put a, a barbie no, no, in no, It's just brick. It's just brick. <laughs> just plaster. Even, even just last week, a friend of mine who, you know, who worked in the charity um, industry, like the NGO world, uh, just goes, I saw this news report about you. Is this true? And like, you know, he was a really good friend of mine for, mm. for seven years in Colombia. He's still a good friend. And just said, is this true? Like, why didn't you tell me? I was like, well, I, I couldn't, could, man. I couldn't. But how? I mean, that's very justifiable. Like, it, I know I'm it, it, it's ju- about it's this, justifiable like, from my point of view, but think about how you'd feel as someone who, who, who's, the, yeah. who's your friend or someone who's living with you, someone who's yeah. sharing your bed. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know, mate. I'm, I'm not in that position. So, and I, like, I, could, I probably can't talk from a very real perspective, but I just don't think like I'd... Like no, if, you, a, if you said, the, oh, the, yeah, by the way, I'm a fucking no, but, spy, I'd be but, like, oh, whatever, But there's man. a couple of ways you, you, you can do these things and Rusty made a decision to go about it the way that he's gone about it yeah. but I, mean, well, I would have done the same thing is what I'm yeah, saying but I mean I mean is it it might have been something that you could have said look I can't tell you what I do no because that, that that's giving it away as well yeah it yeah, totally well, gives well, away well, that's, so, that, then you did have no other choice but I, there, I, there I, you're I'm definitely not really. working for the US government put it that way so, yeah. you, wink, so, wink. so let, yeah. let me ask you, you guys are too good. You guys, too, you two guys are really good friends, right? Mm, so, you go, yeah. how, how was your day? Where were you at two o'clock today? And you go, oh, I was at the gym. Mm. <laughs> and you're lying. Well, I, mean, you, I don't look like I go to the gym. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've got the tattoos. Yeah, I've got the tattoos. I've got enough. I, I mean, I've got three sets of six. Yeah, no, that's tough, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's super tough. Yeah, but like if then, but if I if I just like if you, because I'm sure your ex-missus would have wanted an explanation and stuff, you'd just be like, hey, look, like I just. 
I couldn't have said because of this, this, and this. And I'm like, I'm under a fucking fair yeah, bit of stress. I, I, I told her, and, and look, she accepted it eventually, and she accepted the reasons. Mm. And um, well, we're still good, really good friends, but sure. it's still a big shock for people around yeah. you. It's like that you've been it like is a big, It's a big and, shock. And it's hard because, it's like, if you're a naturally honest, transparent person, and those are, are very Australian values, you know, mm. Australians in general don't lie that much. Mm. I, don't, I don't think. Mm. No. Um, mm. You know, it's like we we. we as me, I'm going, nah, nah, nah. I like fucking 25 times a day. Yeah, That's right there. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I know you both of you guys are married, but you, and, exactly. and you're also on Tinder. Yeah. And, and you're totally, He's on Grindr. There was, yeah. there was I'm a on too. I just found it. <laughs> there was a, there was, Rubble. Yeah, Grindr. One of you, I won't say, I won't say whom, uh, toast at the beginning of this round of six-packs was to wives and girlfriends, may they never meet. <laughs> Whoever laughed, uh, the, whoever laughed the hardest was a guilty party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for people that know me, she's, uh, she, uh, might straight away. She, she might doesn't listen to the show, does she? Nah, she doesn't listen to the show. Your wife does, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sue, just not my girlfriend. Yeah. Don't away, man. Um, Neither does Derek. Uh, um, or Eugene. Uh, yeah, I've got a question. Um, I've got a question, uh, Sorry. I've got a question which is a huge, huge tangent. Go but it's gone, gone to the um, point of like you, the, the way... Um, uh, the Colombian and Latin American lifestyle. I was talking about my, my Spanish tutor and, and obviously the fact that they have lower... Guatemala and divorce rates. And- lower, lower divorce mm. rates. And trying to figure out with Mariela, we're, we're having this long discussion about whether Guatemalan people are happy or whether it's a cultural thing that they just hang on to marriage just longer. And she believes 100% swears black and blue that they're are happier people. They're just happier than all the Western world. All, I don't think all, they are. All, well, Guatemala, all Guatemala City is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Guatemalan people, uh, you know, at least it might limited experience, and perhaps I'm generalising. Uh, you know, like they're pretty, they're pretty cool, they're pretty relaxed, they're pretty, yeah, pretty chilled out people, but they're not the happiest people in the world. Mm. No, that, so that, that that was my question anyway. So but, but to wrap up my to wrap up my question to get it out is right. is um, do you think having lived in like Latin America and having seen that side of the world, how people because there's Everybody, families live together a lot longer. The communities, I feel like, are a lot closer. Our privileged lives that we live in the Western world, we're so disconnected, you know, with our, with our friends, with our family, with everything. Do you think we're doing it... Stereotypically speaking, but yeah. Well, I wouldn't think it would be stereotypically speaking. But um, do you think we're doing it right? Do you think the Western world is doing it right? That's well, my broad question. I think fundamentally they're, they're the most basic of, of tensions, of dynamics that we all face is the... Fundamental, uh, you know, binary conflict between individual self-interest, like our own selfishness versus social cooperation, mm-hmm. and the ideal balance between that we could strike between our own selfishness and social cooperation would be the point where by which we could be both selfish and also socially cooperative. In countries where there is uh, poor economic development. They tend to rely a lot more on social cooperation. They have far stronger social connections and social networks, uh, communities, villages. You tend to see kids living with their families for a lot longer period of time and then you tend to see at the, at the back end of people's lives uh, kids looking after their parents. Mm. That's their obligation. Yeah. Um, and our society... The aim and and your whole self-esteem is based upon being completely independent, not only independent of your family, but independent of everyone. Mm. In other words, you you have to stand out as an individual. Yeah, personally and, successful. And there's a really good uh, documentary about this, about the 
you know, essentially claiming the 21st century was the was the century of individualism and that people asserted that their own individual existence was superior to everyone else's. And if you think about the logical consequence of that, if every single one of us on 6.5 billion mm. people on planet goes, I'm an individual, mm-hmm. I am more important, and my sole role is to prove how different I am to other people. Mm. And you, you set that as an exercise and you go, look how cool I am, look how good my clothes are, look how smart I am, look how unique I am. You're not actually going to end up winning because we actually have far more in common than we have in difference. Mm. And... And t- so, to my mind, you know, that's a, that was an erroneous path to set out upon. That, and, that, and that, to my mind, is equated with um, capitalism. Capitalism is about you know one person competing against the mm. next, and basically there has to be a there has to be a winner. Mm. And um, you know, cooperative behaviour, to my mind, is, is is far more equitable and far more harmonious um, mm. path to pursue. It's a funny one though, because like, I mean, I, I do agree with what you're saying, but I also do like that sense of individualism because if we're talking about happiness, right. And we're talking about, you know, you know, happy. I mean, for me, I've had to be selfish. I mean, do you? Well, no, I've, I, I've had to be selfish to come out of an area of, of anxiety and OCD because I had to give myself time to find who I was and find what makes me happy in this world. So I had to give myself that individualistic time. And I feel like happiness is such an intangible thing to measure because it's just like what makes you happy, what makes me happy. There's no sort of sense of comparison there. And if we're talking about like people in, in Guatemala, are you happy? It's like, yeah, I'm really happy. It's so like, how cool, would you ever measure yeah, that? Right, they work it, but, off, but they saying, work it off a rate of, rate of perceived happiness. So a scale of yeah, 1 but, to 10. That's, that's how you all do all they these. know. What they know is very different to what we know. That's why There's international surveys. Same questions asked in different languages, different people, different cultures. So how would you ask the questions to decide whether you or I or Bill mm. – we're happier than one another, and and how do you, and how would you mm. actually prove that and demonstrate? So obviously the first step is subjective, like uh, reporting. Mm-hmm. As in, I go, guess what, Tommy, mm. I'm happier than you, and you go, no, you're not, Rusty, I'm happier. Mm. Bill, Bill goes, well, neither of you are happy. Yeah. So so there's the subjective side, there's the objective side, the health, well-being, yep. exercise, diet, all those sorts of factors. You know, income, uh, where you're living, uh, your level of education, but. All those factors combined, Colombians consistently report as... as so as what are the more. subjective measures then? Well, to my mind, it's just smiling and laughing, how much you laugh in your life. Yeah. Uh, you know, how many friends you have. Whether you actually... We just ask them, so, how are you doing? Oh, I'm happy. Or if, so, if you go to oh, yeah, go, yeah. how was your day? And they go, oh, I'm under massive stress. Oh, my <laughs> ex-girlfriend, my ex-wife was doing this. Yeah, both oh. of them. <laughs> so look into the negative and... and and you never find Colombians doing that. Colombians mm. just like, I'm fucking awesome. Yeah, my dad got shot. My yeah. my cousin got kidnapped. But is that because, but I'm just saying like, is that because that's just all they know? Is that because that's such a commonality within their society? I think when, you know, when you're conf- constantly confronted with, with stress and anxiety, mm. you know, you stop concentrating on yourself. You stop thinking about your own selfish you know trivial anxieties because yeah. mm. a lot of the things you go I need some time to sort through my issues from my relationship mm. with my parents and my childhood and my ex-girlfriend and my job and my and me and me and me and me and you st- when, when you actually when you're fighting to survive you stop thinking about yourself yeah 
That's and right. Look, it, I mean, I do, I do agree. I mean, like my anxiety, like all this, we always talk about mental health on this show, and my anxieties were very, very like irrational based, and were were very, very, uh, very much based on internal circumstances, right. and ideally. So where'd they come from? Uh, well, like I mean, let's do a podcast one day where I get to interview you guys. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'd be keen. Yeah. <laughs> so who are you, Tom? That's it. I'll it on. I will take you apart, and you'll end up like tearing up. <laughs> Rusty Young, the psychologist. <laughs> no, but, I mean, like mine. I mean, I believe after many hours of meditation on it, yeah. uh, there were a couple of things. Mine were um, there was a lot of volatility in my life at the time. This is actually what the tattoo here represents. Volatility. So, I, uh, parents were going through divorce. My sister yeah. was in hospital. Dad had depression. A uh, uh, couple of things were going on in my life. Um, just uh, my my cousin was very ill at the time. And this was all, I mean, I didn't actually have any stress or anxiety related to this sort of stuff. Uh, but I believe that sort of, I mean, that didn't help, you know. Yeah. But I, I'm fundamentally the anxiety that I, that I got was you know, a sense of losing my, my, my sexuality, losing, uh, losing mental ill, like health. I thought I'd develop schizophrenia. I thought I'd go to hell and burn and for eternity. And they're all very irrational fears. And I developed a lot of they OCD. They a lot of, obviously like you had some religious background there. Yes, correct. Correct. And that's and also, why I'm not and also, a big... And also you're smart and you're curious. And so you start looking into mental health issues. And this is one of the dangerous things is mm. that people read up on psychological conditions and start going, I'm now an expert. That's right. And you should go, oh, you've come out of a war, therefore you must have PTSD. Mm. Or, and, and this is the case of every single ex-girlfriend you ever have, they go, yeah, he's actually a sociopath or a yeah. psychopath. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's got all the qualities. And none of us are qu- actually qualified psychologists yeah, to be right. able to actually make those statements. Oh, you're just ticking off a box in the end. <laughs> yeah. No, but look, I mean... Uh, for, for me, per, and again, this is my personal experience with Bill's had his own personal experiences with, with anxiety and stuff as well. And like, really? they're all, I mean, mm. yeah, like they're just, for me, what I had to learn was, uh, so I had to be, get it, gain a, a very good sense of self. So I had to learn about who I really was from a very deep subconscious level. I had to learn about, based on that, the things in lot in my life that coincided with who I was and then the things that didn't. So was playing footy, was hanging out with these people, this, 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 was it, were these the right things to do with my life? And now I've since developed a life that coincides with who I truly am. So let me, ask you, let me ask you a question. Let's do this mm. round. I'll, you guys have been interviewing me. Mm. What makes you happy? Well, for externally ha- or internally? Are you, are you happy? I, I honestly believe that I'm extremely happy. Right. Very, very happy. Uh, this... The uh, the thing I'm doing with the Mind Mate, which is a business that I've just started doing, this podcast. I mean, I've never. I think maybe for 45 minutes or something, and I, I don't think I've ever worked a day in my life whilst doing Adventure Foot Radio with my best day to day mate, yeah. and getting to meet and becoming and befriending people like yourself. So when, like, you, when you say, by the way, I'm going to start picking you here. Yeah, yeah. When you say this is my best day to day mate, <laughs> I presume there's other other mates that you That's have. That's how here. we explain each other. Yeah, yeah. we haven't been yeah. best mates. I've got a best mate since five that I was best man at his wedding. Like he's my best mate, best mate. It's you know, but I see him it's once every. It's kind of hard when you got a really good best months. mate you're really close to and you work with, and then you got another best mate who's actually your best mate. Oh, I've got, well, I've got, I've got, I've got about a thousand best mates. I've got six best mates. Okay, right. So, okay. all right. So now let's break it down. So here's my theory of happiness: that essentially that it's a conscious exercise of human will, and you have to actually decide between two possible outcomes, the minimum of two possible outcomes, yep. and finally accept your own responsibility I do agree between with that. those two possible outcomes. Yes. So, if you say this is my best possible day-to-day mate, 
I'm going to say who's your actual best mate and how do you define it? And so between your thousand mates, your ten mates, or your mm. best day there mates, who's your best friend? My and girlfriend it might, it is might my best offend mate. him. Yeah, yeah, my girlfriend is my best friend. You what? My, yeah. What did you say? I said it might offend me. Might offend you. But, oh, wouldn't, wouldn't offend but me. But you actually have but, to make that decision. Yeah. You have to prioritize. You have to actually make a decision. Who's your most important person? Yeah, my girlfriend is my best friend. Oh, that's great. To say that. And yeah, then and James you, James Frey is my best friend. Yeah, exactly. He's been my best friend yeah. since I was five years old. But based on my current scenario, I'd put him at second for sure. Bill is my second best friend for sure. Silver but place. You, but yeah. you, to, you told me on Grinder. <laughs> Can you, mate, we're on the record here. You're, you're my best friend. You're my best friend. You're the big um, pub of 69. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we got sidetracked there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. enough about you guys. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about me. <laughs> okay, well, let's move things on. So, so Russ, you, uh, you have produced a documentary. Directed, produced? Um, I was the narrator presenter. You were the narrator presenter. The amazing director. His yes. name is... Uh, Colin Offland. Okay. He's from... Colin Offland. Colin, no, <laughs> Colin Offland. Yes. Uh, he has a company called Chief Productions and he, he he's an amazing guy. He The reason I accepted this documentary is because he went over and he did a, an amazing documentary called um, Big Bang in, Copen, in, in Pang, Ponyang. Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Yep. Uh, which is the capital of North Korea. Am I getting this right? Oh, no. Sorry. Isn't I thought you were talking about... I thought you were talking about... Pyongyang. I thought you were talking about Pyongyang. Yeah, big, big Bang in Pyongyang. Pyongyang. Gotcha. Okay, right. cool. Yep. So he he took Dennis Rodman, who is the, the sort of flamboyant, yeah. <laughs> uh, highly jeweled, tattooed, yeah. drunken... Mm-hmm. Um, NBA star. NBA star, who was admired by Kim Jong-un, who's yep. an amazing golfer. Apparently got 18 <laughs> holes in one. Yeah, I did hear about this. Yeah. And has a nuclear arsenal. <laughs> He's a nuclear arsehole. <laughs> and um, so, so Colin went over there with Dennis Rodman and filmed him singing happy birthday to oh, shit that was such him. a weird friendship it was yeah, such a Rodman, way Kim out Jong-un there thing. yeah because I mean North Korea doesn't allow much media in nah and so if you do get access there it's like you know you know it's going to be controlled so mm. he was just like let's just film everything we can do and totally. I, I saw that and he said Rusty I love you and Thomas to come back into San Pedro prison to film a documentary called Wildlands and I was like I will do that on the condition that you know, you don't, you nor the producers nor the financiers control the questions that I ask. You guys can cut it however you want, but I'm not going to be controlled in terms of what I say and what I, you know, put the, the questions I ask. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I, like my greatest achievements in my life, of, if I can put it bluntly, marching powder, living in a prison for four months, uh, voluntarily meeting Thomas McFadden, amazing mm. guy. And then working for the US government for four years, mm. writing this next book, Colombiano. Those are amazing experiences. But Wildlands was possibly the wildest five months of my life. And, really? And big thanks to, oh, well, oh yeah. my God. Like, wait till this comes out. I mean, mm. you guys have seen the pre edit. Mm-hmm. Can't talk about it because <laughs> yeah. it hasn't yep. been released. Yeah. It's been yep. slightly censored. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I mean, that was incredible. I mean, just, I. As an individual, I look for people who can change my lives. It's happened who can change my life. It's happened to me twice in a big way. It happens to me every day, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I talk to every taxi driver. I talk to people in the airport. Mm-hmm. I just talk to hotel receptionists. I talk to everyone. Yeah. But the biggest changes in my life in terms of like career direction have been Thomas McFadden. Who, you know, I'm a white you know, um, middle-class lawyer. Mm-hmm. I meet a black drug trafficker in a prison in Bolivia. <laughs> and I go, bang, you're a fucking cool guy. Yeah. I'm going to go and live with you and write a book. Mm. Write a bestseller. Changes my life, changes his life. Mm. I meet a guy coming through an airport. Can't mention the guy's name. He's a very humble guy. He became my mentor. Um, 
and he changed my life. He gave me a job with the US government that mm. changed my perspective on the world mm. and allowed me to write this next book. And I'd say the other, the other coincidental uh, meeting that I had was with Colin Offland and he just said, you know what, why don't you present and narrate mm. this documentary? And I would do that stuff for free. You know, like mm. it was a lot of hard work involved, but he was an amazing person to work with. His whole crew was amazing to work with. Mm. And that I think what we come out with was, you know, oh, although, although it's been diluted <laughs> mm. by international pressure. Um, <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah. Um, by, by, um, I, yeah. Look, I can't say it. I, I, can't, I, can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't say it. I just want to say it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah, I got a, uh, um, I got a, just a, an interesting question about a documentary like that. How much um, can you a documentary like um, Wildlands? And like I said, I haven't seen it. Tommy, you've seen it, but but like a, a <laughs> so raw, I've jacked off to about a fifty times. Raw, <laughs> um, raw documentary filmed in um, filmed and shot in five months in Latin America. Yep. How much is the production cost of something like that? Do we I know? Have no, I have no idea. So no I, idea. I wasn't the production side. But I mean, like, nah. would you have a guess? What, oh, what do you, I'm just actually yeah, generally. Guess. This is a question yeah, yeah. I was going to ask after the show. Yeah, yeah. I'm going um, to say under a million dollars, but the hundreds of thousands of dollars for yeah. sure. Think yeah, about yeah. think about this. If you want to do something professionally, you've got the camera gear, mm. and those cameras are probably worth each camera's probably worth a hundred grand. Yeah, you've got to fly. A line producer, a director, a presenter, narrator, the talent. Yep. You've got to have a at least two camera guys, but preferably three. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a sound guy. And so you've got seven or eight people minimum yeah. uh, traveling around the world, staying in hotels, eating, mm. um, you know, for however many weeks that it requires. And, and plus you've got to pay your fixers. You've got to pay your talent maybe. Mm. And pay the government. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just it's an expen- it's an expensive nah, sh- it's an expensive enterprise for sure. But the good news is that d- d- you know, doc- documentaries are, are uh, undergoing a renaissance. You know, mm. because previously documentaries, you know, you'd spend you'd try and do a sort of guerrilla documentary. You try and get it released uh, in the in the cinemas, and that's your that's your that's your income. Yeah, that's your box office. You know, you tick your box yeah, office you make income. That's you make money. But now with Netflix and with iTunes and mm. Google Play and Amazon, all these platforms allow documentaries just to sit there and tick over. You might yeah. get a dollar a download, and that makes it worthwhile. So I think there's a huge interest. Uh, the internet has been amazing. Has been has, has represented an absolute boon for for documentary mm. makers. Yeah. I like um, the reason I ask is because. Um, for our trips we have coming up we have um, a photo video team that I've built which is going to be really good but I want to with AdventureFit start doing documentaries but small documentaries I love the media side of what we do I really love this telling stories like this is why your story has nothing to do with adventure fitness or travel well travel it does but this is like what I like to do. So I like the Vice style of documentaries. You know how you can get a yeah. really interesting documentary and get it in 12 minutes? Yeah. So that's probably more like to what we would probably do. Yeah. Um, but that's why I was kind of asking because I feel like there's so many interesting stories to tell out there that you can tell whether it is a long form, you know, yeah. after awarded, you know, Cannes film or what mm. documentary, like the stuff that you're doing or whether it's like a Vice, which Vice is one of the biggest media companies in the world, but a Vice style, you know, eight to 12 minute documentary because um, yeah just with the people that we talk to obviously the places that we go there's so many 
fucking Every interesting. Every guest blows my mind. There's so really? many fucking interesting oh, yeah. stories. So, but what, I, I what, what a great position you guys are in, by it's the, the best. way. That, that, you, great, that your job and your passion and hopefully the way you're making money is mm. is going out and, and meeting people who inspire you, you know, in that's different ways. Every single that's guest blows wow, my that's mind. That's awesome. Really. So, that, I, like, as I said, I've, I've had two people who have blown my mind and changed the direction mm. of my life. Mm-hmm. But you guys are going out and looking for that. And, mm. you, and so, uh, to my mind, you're in the you're in the you're in the zone of happiness because you're oh. like you're, you're looking for new ways of looking at the world. Yeah, yeah exactly that's right. right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the biggest thing I love about this thing is the fact that I mean, number one, we're working in yeah. commas on a Saturday night yeah. drinking <laughs> beers with a but fucking who, you know question, legend of it. Who's paying you though, right? Oh, you, know, you well, I mean, you know, <laughs> no one right yeah, now. Yeah, no one right now. <laughs> yeah, the, the, podcast, the, the podcasters are making money right now. Right. Yeah, is the yep. short answer to the question. We hope we will one day, but even um, if it doesn't, if we can just fund it, like we just this is the shit we love doing. Nothing as well. Look at the setup to a podcast. It costs us. It costs us a little bit. Yeah. We'll transport but, petrol. Yeah. But, oh, I mean, no, we, get, we get it. We get it. Uh, we get it put together in the Philippines. Yeah. Mm. It costs us a couple hundred bucks a week. But Bill, bucks who, a week. For the, who paid for the six pack? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> We're already paying ourselves back, mate. Six pack in the kitchen. Mate. To be the talent here. <laughs> no, but we just we lost a few. We, uh, we lost. A few. <laughs> That's true. I should not have to pay for my own alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave us a glass um, of wine before us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bill Cosby, yeah. I want to have sex with Lotto. With so, the Bill Cosby. Uh, this is definitely, this is definitely uh, the, the, the weirdest tangent we've gone yeah, on. Yeah, this has gone down. We're Bill, talking about Bill, Bill Cosby, Cosby now. He's a very, um, very well mannered man. And Bill, I want to say to you that I really like you, not only as people, but also as attractive men. No, 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 no. That's um, good. So, getting no, away from right. Bill, getting away from Bill Cosby. Yeah. Rusty, um, Rusty Young does not support any of the above comments. That is not included. What was it like to uh, to interview and almost befriend Carl? Carl, is it Jung? Sorry, Carl Jung. Uh, George, George Young. George Young. So you're confusing that with the whole uh, existentialist. <laughs> I was. Yeah. I was there. Yes. Bill Cosby, you just got me rattled. <laughs> I just got nervous. Uh, George Young was the uh, one of so the. So who's George? Who, George Young. George Sorry, Young. Yeah, tell us about the documentary. Tell, yeah. us, tell us about that documentary, and then maybe into the summary. Oh, sorry, so we're going to the Wildlands one. Do the Wildlands, and then we'll go. Um, so, uh, so Rusty, we we um, were sitting down earlier and watching Wildlands, obviously, which is your your new doco you got coming out. So coming out. So. Um, your question was about George Young, but tell us about what Wildlands, mm. well, or what is Wildlands about the the story that you're trying to tell in the well, doctor? Well, essentially, it's like a journey through South America and the USA, looking at the history of the war on drugs. Um, I interview a whole bunch of legends of the Wildlands, so that was the initial title. It's called Wildlands, but it's about legends of the Wildlands. So yep. legends could be interpreted as being uh, either the people who are the legends or the stories mm. of the legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I interviewed Thomas McFadden. We actually went back into San Pedro Prison 15 years later. Mm-hmm. He freaked the hell out. Mm. That was the first story. Um, I interviewed George Young, who was portrayed by Johnny Depp in the movie Blow, mm-hmm. uh, played, who played alongside uh, Penelope Cruz. Amazing movie from 1996. Mm. Uh, the history of the importation of uh, cocaine into South into USA, into, mm. uh, into West uh, USA, mm-hmm. and I interviewed a bunch of undercover DEA agents who sort of survived. Some DEA informants interviewed a guy called Adam Newbold who was amazing. That was that was a real insight for me. He was um, 
a member of the Navy team, uh, Navy SEAL Team Six, which was the team that brought down Osama bin Laden. Yeah, wow. And um, he wasn't there during the operation, but he was part of that team. And those guys go through. That, that's one of the most, if not the most, amazing, extreme, uh, extreme elite military teams mm. on, on on planet 100%. Earth. Hundred percent. And these guys do that's every the top dogs. That's, mm. These are the top dogs. <laughs> and, Osama bin Laden, and, yeah. he's your best man on the job. Yeah. yeah. So you'd think you'd think that these guys would just be brainwashed, you know, sort of grunts. Robots. But he was incredibly intelligent mm. and rounded and really responsive and engaging, and he was incredible. Was he emotionally intuitive? Absolutely. I mean, really? he was just. I was just sitting there going, I can't like. Everyone else, I was there to just kind of bring them down a bit, you know. Mm. Like, I like mm-hmm. my, my interview style is a little bit aggressive. You guys are just chilled out, but mm. my, my interview is like, I'm going to try and get under your skin. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my style. Well, we had that before. You yeah. like <laughs> put me on my happiness. I was getting yeah. nervous. Yeah. Maybe I'm not happy anymore. Yeah. And if I kept going, if I interviewed you guys for an hour, you'd end up a little being ball, assaulted, little thing, <laughs> crying. <laughs> on the We've got to do the opposite of a show yeah. one day. I'd man. Love that. That'd, That'd be, be a sick. pisser. You're on the reverse podcast <laughs> with Rusty. <laughs> yeah. Rusty Fit. Oh, radio. Um, Probably one of your worst ones. I tried to say radio. The other guy in the interview, in that interview series was uh, a guy called John Hydro Velasquez Vasquez, and he was Pablo Escobar's supposed chief assassin. He'd admitted to killing 250 people and ordering the deaths of 3,000 people. He'd just been out of prison, and I interviewed him about life in the day of the Medellin cartel, another incredible woman called Pilar Angel, who was a was the wife of one of the members of the uh, cartels in, in Colombia. And then she, when she was finally caught up with by the DEA, she flipped sides and started working as a money launderess. Mm. And then she and then she was working for the DEA, going back and busting her former husband's um, former colleagues. Husbands former husband's <laughs> colleagues in drug trafficking and she, was, and she was, she was <laughs> laundering money for the DEA the DEA was actually taking a commission out of money, money laundering whilst trying to capture the cartel so it becomes you know in moral sense it becomes a sort of very murky waters but Wildlands is essentially just delving into the personal histories of people who mm. had been involved in the in the drug trade during the golden era of mm. the drug trade. Obviously, the drug trade has changed significantly. It's become increasingly violent. But the people back from back in the heyday, you know, the eighties and the nineties. So, um, mm. okay, no worries. So, with the drug trade and the and the war on drugs and and what you've learnt from obviously this documentary and just your history in the area, like, what do you actually think about? The war on drugs. Do you think it's a? It's been it's, a it's, been, it's been a dramatic failure. I mean, it was. It started in 1971 with um, Nixon declaring the war on drugs, and then around 1973. I think Wasn't it, was, it Nixon that was supposed to be working in, with the Nicaraguan president bringing no, cocaine into the U.S. Or no, you're getting confused with Oliver North. But um, yeah, I'll just shut up then. <laughs> Get out. Yeah, no, no, seriously, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I should just let Russ so talk. 1971 was Nixon declaring the war on drugs. 1973 was the creation of the DEA, and so we're now 2017. Um, the latest statistics from Colombia are that coca leaf production, as in the base ingredient of yeah. cocaine, is at an all-time high. That um, cocaine pro- consumption in the Western countries is at an all-time high. So if you Shit. just if you compare 1971 to 9 at 2017. Cocaine production has increased. Cocaine consumption has increased. In other words, 
if you were looking at a war on drugs, it has failed. It has failed. It has failed. Capita though, because the it US has, is, the US has gone up like a thousand. It has failed completely. A thousand percent in there. The US, but my my question though, like, is it per? Do you mean per capita, like more people taking drugs? Because the US has gone from like a hundred million to three hundred fifty million in that time. You know. Good, good point if you want to measure like relative population levels but certainly if we look at the number of deaths and who how many people die per year and this is this is a question that's never introduced how many people die per year from drug overdoses whether it be cocaine or heroin or or, or marijuana prescription medication prescription. so right now yeah well actually the right now the US and this is according to the DA is in the grip of the highest ever opioid addiction so opioids mm. are used as painkillers but yeah. prescription medication and it's also a gateway drug to heroin so mm. when people are given as a first line um, defense painkillers um there's some amazing, amazingly powerful drugs which are actually more powerful than heroin. And once they, once people, uh, patients are given this drug and then taken off the drug, they go, well, where can I get that same hit? And they so, start yeah. taking heroin. So heroin deaths have actually quadrupled in the US. So mm. They're going through an absolute academic epidemic right now in the US for opioid addiction, mm. boosted by the pharmaceutical companies. Mm. How many people die per year from cocaine addiction versus how many people die in the war on drugs? In the last four years, an estimated 150,000 Mexican citizens have died along the border areas, not from taking drugs, but because of being caught up in the, in the battlefield for the war of the control of the cocaine mm. market. So there are far, far more human beings' lives being lost in the battle over the profits than over the actual yeah. f- from actually taking the drugs. So, mm. so when you start doing the start going, what is the war on drugs? What are we trying to achieve here? And and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be persecuting uh, you know drugs and drug consumption as a social evil. Drugs can be extremely dangerous. They're very addictive. Cocaine, you know, is not a positive thing in the long term at all. No, um, and yet. If we're looking at the sort of cost balance and the and the, and the, the cost to the taxpayer, it's a ridiculous situation where mm. by which, on one hand, we're using our taxpaying dollar to prosecute the war on drugs. On the other hand, we're using our after-tax dollar as Western consumers to yeah. buy that very same yeah. drug. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that the fact of the matter is that because of the war on drugs, drug prices rise, and then therefore it becomes more glamorous. So it's this kind of contradictory, almost hypocritical very much situation so. whereby. Western countries are saying we're gonna we're gonna be happy to go out on a Friday or a Saturday night and do a few lines of coke in the bathroom. That's kind of cool because it's expensive. Mm. And, and at the same time, go let's make the South Americans and the Latin Americans and the Central Americans pay this incredibly high price in terms mm. of blood and corruption mm. for this war on drugs. Yeah. Do you think yep. um, Do you think legalizing drugs is the answer in in this um, in this? Because I mean, at the end of the day, let's say let's say for example. Um, drugs, well, drugs right now are all illegal. And is anyone ever stopped from taking drugs because they're illegal right now? Like, have you ever? Yeah, definitely, ha- definitely. I mean, de- like, it, well, the, 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 I've never been. Okay, but it, lim- it, it, drugs, lim- it limits your access. Mm. So you have, let's say, as a, as a, someone who's interested in experimenting, and let's look at the definition of a, of a drug is a mind altering substance. Mm-hmm. What in terms of your available options right now on a you know, Saturday night? 
alcohol's freely available. We can walk out into a bar. Yeah. Tobacco is now more limited in its availability, but mm-hmm. 20 years ago it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one stage in history, coffee was actually illegal. Tobacco was illegal. Alcohol's been illegal under the yep. American Constitution. Yeah. So all these mind-altering substances, we've always had this sort of dilemma about how do we how do we control, how do we... What's uh, safe. How do, yeah. how do we achieve the, the optimal balance? Mm. Cocaine's highly illegal. Heroin's highly illegal. But let's look at those two drugs versus ice. And the ice is just, has surely been mm. the biggest plague on Australian society mm. in the last mm. in the last 10 or 20 years, hasn't it? I mean, Definitely. 100%. Right. 100%. But so, I, I, I still feel like... Um, I still feel like... There's like like you say with the lives lost in the war on drugs. Yeah. Because if there's no war on drugs, then there's no loss of life. If there, if there's no war on drugs, then there's no pro- the. So you talk about big pharma that are uh, making all this money, yeah. getting people hooked on painkillers and so forth. The uh-huh. epidemic that's going on in America. Yep. If you take, and I mean it's going to be the money would be going to big corporations. But if you take away the illegality of it, then yep. all these drugs become cleaner. They become readily available. They yep. come from so big... That's they including become, regulation as well. Yeah, yeah they yep. come from big pharma. And I mean, the the positives of, you know, the the, the, the one thing that I've heard when in this um, in this question that is the rebuttal is, well, what are the what are the gangsters do then? They're going to yeah. find something else, which is fine. I mean, bad if people gonna, are still going to do bad, bad things. Bad people are going to be bad people. But yep. if you take away all that amazing amount of money going into... The wrong people's hands. But not just the, the wrong people, people. we're talking killed. about criminal organisations and we're talking about terrorist organisations. Mm, so it's my mind, that's my, right. essentially what we're going to eventually face is what is, which is worse, uh, terrorism or, or drug consumption or drug trafficking mm. because um, you know, the, the, the most lucrative and immediate and easiest form of financing for international terrorist organisations is drug trafficking because yeah. it's, it's, it's a high profit margin. Uh, the Colombian FARC, the Colombian paramilitaries were two of the wealthiest tor- terrorist organisations. Taliban is funded by opium, yeah. right, in, yep. in Afghanistan. In, in Afghanistan, fact, yep. The war stops when they're not producing opium because they need to actually get their crops out in order to fund mm. their, next, their next season's campaign. Yeah. So if we want to stop these terrorist organisations who are killing people with car bombs and kidnapping people and, and murdering people and murdering politicians... What if you took the financing away? That doesn't mean that the there's never going to be another terrorist organisation. There's always no, going right, to be social sure. injustice and poverty. That's part of humanity. But don't make it easy for them. Yeah. Flip side, there are plenty of arguments like what happens if you do legalise it and you, be, you make it more accessible, you make it more acceptable. There are some dangers because guess what? These drugs have been made illegal for a reason. The very first cocaine addicts were actually... Uh, ophthalmologists so they were looking for uh, an analgesic for eye surgery so the eye yeah. the eye actually contains one of the highest concentrations of nerve endings mm. in the human body and so they've never actually worked out a way to actually you know, operate physically on an eye and then yeah. they used a liquid cocaine to actually provide painkiller mm. as a painkiller mm. and then the ophthalmologist was like oh, here's one drop for you and yeah. here's one drop for me <laughs> one for you yeah. one for me one for you at a certain point though, at a certain point ophthalmologists and also um you know, physicians and psychophysicians such as uh, Sigmund Freud Freud was actually a big advocate Sigmund Freud was actually he was the father of modern psychology was actually a big, big advocate for for cocaine mm. use mm-hmm. and he was also a massive cocaine addict and he yeah. actually recommended to his best friend end up retracting his position because his best friend became so addicted he was crazy <laughs> Freud yeah and the uh, the the book Jekyll and Hyde the strange tale of the oh yeah was actually written 
about someone who was a cocaine addict. Yeah, mm. and that's yeah, that's all. That's all. 100% valid. I think um, I think with legalization though, legalization, if a government says, okay, we're going to legalize this thing, then I mean, obviously the fact that it's going to be more readily available, does that really mean more people are going to get addicted and going to die? Or does it mean that the drugs are going to be cleaner? There's going to be safe injecting rooms. Already, there's going to be... Because you're saying people are going to find drugs... Any, irrespective. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Irrespective. And the, but the government won't just go out and gung-ho. Okay, all drugs are free. Yeah, Get yeah, them off yeah, your yeah. mates. Right. Fucking down, the, down, the, down behind right, the sheds. But like, let me, right, let me provide system, you know? the, the counter perspective here. Yeah. Okay, so right now we're in Melbourne... You go out and you pay three dollars, and you don't get pure drugs. You get shithouse Panadol. Yeah. Right. So you go. Well, I'm now turned off doing it. There's no point in doing it because I'm just going to get Panadol, which has been crushed up and it's dangerous and it's mixed with stuff. Mm-hmm. So you go. Well, that's not really an option. But let's say the government goes. Here's some pure cocaine. That's a really good high. Yeah. You might actually go. That's a pretty good option. So that's one of the. There are, there are many dangers and pitfalls for for legalizing. But but that doesn't yeah. take into account the regulation process associated. Right. So how would you regulate it? Well, I'm I'm just thinking of like a. Well, I don't have the, the answers, but like maybe I don't know how. Yeah. I mean, I mean I think cigarettes just, aren't. I mean, you know, are, it would have to be more regulated than that, obviously. Like, I mean, you could cigarettes. You can go out and buy twenty packs if you wanted to. With cocaine, you're, it, I mean, maybe gun regulation is a is a system they'd no, probably think, be willing to undertake. I don't think background checks and it's. Yeah, you I don't know. think you go. You go. Look, you can only buy X amount of drugs. Like. You can go and kill yourself with beer right now. We can we can go. Buy, no, you buy can't kill yourself. How do you kill yourself with beer? Not not beer, but uh, sorry. Al- <laughs> you can kill yourself with beer. Uh, no, no, Al- but well, you, you can, can kill you yourself can anyway. Yourself. I you can, can drink yourself. Your, to I death. can smash you over, bo- over the head with a bottle. But yeah, you can you can drink yourself to death. We can go. We <laughs> can go grab a, a yeah, bottle yeah. of um. But we, I might. <laughs> <laughs> we can go grab a bottle of whiskey right now, skull it, and 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 die. Like my friend Gav died, drunk himself to death five years ago. Um. And but like, would you see more frequent cases with drugs that are, yeah, that are potentially would. more aggressive? And then the, I don't think so. I'm just playing devil's advocate. You yeah, would, no, you would I, and, I and then the media would come out and go, "Man who was high on cocaine yeah. or whatever, who was taking a legally prescribed substance, kills a family on a pedestrian crossing. Mm. Drugs are evil. Mm. Have we been doing the same thing for alcohol? I mean, alcohol. Yeah, that's right. Alcohol is still involved in over fifty percent of alcohol's ro- the worst road, drug ever. Road fatalities. Well, is it the worst drug ever? Let's be objective here as well. Uh, you guys well, have had a beer tonight. I've had a beer tonight, mm-hmm. and it's something which allows you. To, it's a social lubricant. It yep. allows you to relax. So when the majority of people use alcohol as a responsible citizen and relax and have fun, have a good laugh, you know, make some relax. Is that a bad thing? Have we killed anyone? No. No, no that's right. So but it's only in extreme use. So how do you control the extreme use versus the, the responsible mm. use? Well, people mm. have to do that's, that's on people. Because but people are going to still go out and get addicted to heroin. People are going to kill themselves on ice. People are going to drink themselves to death. And that's people's... But it's also... You know? It's not just on people, man. Like, it's also on, like, the, the, the way, like... I mean, the way society... You can't is, stop is, people, is what I'm saying. ...was rounded towards that drug. I mean, like, if you look in Eastern European societies where where age has no limitation and, and kids are brought up in sort of, you know, families where it's like, yeah, you have a, a glass of this, a glass of that. You, I mean, they, they, I mean, just kids in here when they're 18 years old getting absolutely fucked up every weekend, it's just not a thing over there because yeah. it's just a different way of drinking or yeah, introducing a drug. Or Colombia, I very rarely saw people getting so drunk that they get into fight. In fact, I reckon yeah. in Colombia, even though it's the most... You know, it was like one of the had one of the highest murder rates in the world. I never saw punch ups mm, on a mm, Friday night, mm, whereas Australians yeah. will have a punch up, but you don't see them shooting each other. Yeah. So it's kind of it's a lot, yeah, a lot of it does come down to cultural. Should we wrap cultural this up now, though? Yeah. 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 For sure. Well, 
Yes. Well, should we go um, six from six? We're done six from six. I think we've changed the qu- we've changed nearly all the questions. We could speak. We could speak for another four hours. Let's just <laughs> go to speak for another four hours. Uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah. We're, yeah. On the, we're on the Mc- dude. What the fuck? <laughs> we're on the McGregor May- yeah, Mayweather fight tomorrow. Lloyd Manweather. <laughs> um, well, all right, Rusty. We're going to go to uh, six, six from six, six then. Yep. I think mm. we did nine from nine back in the day, but all the no, questions no, have changed. Six, and then- six, six from six. Oh, it was, was, was me and you. Yeah, yep. that's right. So, Rusty, my yeah. first question, you may have already answered it, we really can't remember. <laughs> um, your um, favourite travel destination you've ever been and why? Columbia. We've already, he has answered this one. He has done Dream these. destination. Columbia. <laughs> Somewhere you haven't been. Adelaide. <laughs> Somewhere uh, you haven't I been. I want to go to Nepal next. Nepal. I want to go with you guys. Cool. Yeah, we haven't done all yeah, these questions. We've done these. We've yeah. done these. We'll do them again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Favorite my, book. my last question is can book that you book that you like to recommend to people can be autobiography, <laughs> can be uh, a graphic Catch, novel, the can Catcher be in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Really? Yeah, just it's a, it's a first person narrative. Well, particularly for boys. I mean, maybe not so much for women, but you know, it's like about the feelings of adolescent insecurity, and you know, it kind of makes you feel that everything you're going through, you're okay. Mm. Yeah, mm. that was a really cool. comforting book for me. Cool. Uh, Rust, what do you like to do uh, in your spare time? Um, I like to jog, and my favourite favorite pastime is kite surfing. Really? Yeah. Did you say that last yeah, time? Yeah, he did. I don't even remember that. Yeah, he did. I oh, remember shit. it well. I'm pretty consistent. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. yeah. Catch the rolls, dude. Catch the rolls. Yeah. yeah, that was it. Sorry to listen to the show and just getting the same answers and <laughs> <Yeah>. same questions. <laughs> uh, someone you look up to? Inspiration? Uh, I'm going to say my year seven... English teacher, Michael Boylan, who got me writing a diary, and the guy, I won't say his name, uh, who I met on the plane. Yep, yep. And my parents as well. My parents have just been amazing sort of mentors for me. Your parents are legends. Cool. We love them. We've met them personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're lovely people. <laughs> I remember your dad was sipping a cup of coffee, I believe, in the morning. <laughs> would, have been, would have been red wine. Would have been red wine. <laughs> yeah. There was some white powder on the top there, but I don't know what it was, but yeah, must have been panada. Uh, and three people to dinner, dead or alive, who would they be oh, and why, Oh, I did this one. I, I think I might have got... Just Pulled up on this one. Yeah, this is a tough one. I'm going to say Charles Bukowski. Good bloke. Uh, uh, Obviously he was the a, stripper. An author. Yep. Hey, well, someone else has died. Uh, I'd like Hitler to be there. I'd just punch him in the fucking head. Yeah. Hitler's, uh, uh, Hitler's the most common like, guess pick his brain have. a bit? No, no. I just, just want just, to punch him. Just eliminate him. Well, I mean, that would get that would He's get through the entree. Though. But what about He's the eliminate? We're not we're not having this we're not having this meal in no. nineteen nineteen ten. We're no. not going back to the into the past. Yeah. Oh, I said he's coming to dinner so right he's, now. He's come back. Well, we can he's bring coming, him back. He's coming forward to the Everything's future. Done. Forward, yeah. Everything's done. It's all done. Yeah. 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 Reverse yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like him to come forward, and I still punch him in the head. Fair enough. But then, would you want to invite him to dinner? No. Just, just I would only have like two plates, and he wouldn't be one of us. He's the most popular guest we have on that question. Really? Yeah. Yep. Everyone yeah, wants to know about someone Hitler. Who just like revokes an extreme emotion, you know. Totally. Well, most people want to pick his brain. You're the yeah. first person that's going to just uh, pop him one. <laughs> rip him in the foot. I'm going to say Angelina Dolly. I know she's not dead, but fuck. She doesn't have she's... to be dead, mate. Doesn't <laughs> 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 have to be dead. <laughs> he goes, he goes, but fuck. That's unreal. If she was dead, oh, she'd be oh, good. Mate. <laughs> And finally, mate, uh, this is not a part of the season six, but um, now's the time to to plug anything upcoming, your social medias, anything to get out there for all the listeners. Go for it, mate. Mate, I just want to plug you guys. You've been you've been awesome. Bang, I like it. Adventure Radio. In case you haven't already heard us or uh, listened to us, Adventure Radio. <laughs> I love it. All right, cool. All your uh, all the stuff will be in the show notes for um, for everybody. And uh, yeah. 
Awesome. Thanks again, Rusty, for uh, a great round number two. Pussy young. Pussy, pussy young. <laughs> young pussy. We all yeah, love pussy. that. Oh, no, we're not going to go there. <laughs> 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 all right. That's a wrap. All righty. Thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoyed that one, make sure you uh, go ahead and subscribe. If you didn't enjoy it, go ahead and subscribe. If you already are a subscriber, guys, please go and leave us a rating and review. Also, head to www.adventuretravel.com forward slash radio for all the show notes. So anything that we mentioned in the show, there'll be links to in the show notes. And don't forget to check out audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio. You will uh, get one free audio book and a 30-day subscription there. Use the code word radio when you quote when you go to quashcreative.com and speak with the, the team down there. You'll get a free SEO report or report on your current or existing brand. And adventurevitravel.com. 10% off any and all holidays using the code word radio. Radio, see you.